And sitting beside her to my great surprise tonight, Mark Hoffman, Deputy Director of the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, and my boss, who I did not know who was coming tonight. He is a lover of history, although he doesn't get to do it enough. He has written books about Michigan and the Civil War, and it thrills me no end, Mark, that you have come, and I have to say thank you so much. And to say thank you as well to all of you who are here. I'm sitting here seeing if I can get my notes to come back up because I don't want to forget a couple of things. I want to say, excuse me, just a second. Okay, come on. To read the nomination letters from people who I have looked up from to and learned so much from during my career was truly humbling. And to receive this award from an organization that has played such an important role in my life is the highest honor I could ever hope to receive. So I do thank you. Now, I did not learn everything I know in kindergarten, but I learned an awful lot of it at AASLH. Some was about the many sides of public history, publications, museums, archives, markers, preservation, archeology, span state historic preservation, all things that I ended up managing in my career. I was also introduced to ideas and books from outside our field about management, marketing, tipping points, and Harry Potter. That last one came when we were starting the campaign that John mentioned to try to get more attention and more support for history. When David Crossan got up and read the passage that noted that the professor of the history of magic at Hogwarts had been dead for some time but hadn't noticed. <laughs> I think we're doing a little better than that now. I have been through some tough times with this organization. I was secretary of this organization. I suppose one of my most vivid memories is sitting on the floor in my study. I was secretary, so I was on the phone and had to write, and I was younger then, and I sat on the floor when I had to do that. As a member of the executive board, this organization was in terrible financial trouble. It wasn't just close to the edge, it had gone over the edge. And the question was asked, should we disband the organization? But the second question that was asked was, well, what would we do if we did? And all four of us on that phone call said, we'd have to start a new one just like it, because we need it. And the Missouri Historical Society gave AASLH the money, an extraordinary, wonderful thing that Bob Archibald made happen to get us out of debt and get us on the road to becoming the organization we are today that is financially stable and financially sound. But as I was thinking about this, I, earlier this week, I was thinking about, you know, AASLH has been a part of my life for a lot longer than I've been com coming to annual meetings. My dad was a historian. And so I won't say I learned and lo to love history at my father's knee, but I did learn to love it at my father's bookshelf. By the time I was in junior high, I brought a little artifact with me. Every time I was sick, every time it was rainy and I was out of library books, I was a nerd, 
I went to the shelf with this magazine on it, American Heritage. And, well, two of these is just too much. <laughs> so, I had a vague remembrance of this, but I always have to check my history because I do sometimes forget things. I got out volume six, number one. It's actually volume one of the hardback version of American Heritage. Up until then, it was the publication of our organization, but it wasn't getting too much speed and wasn't being very successful, so a new group was formed. But you open it up and it says, sponsored by American Association for State and Local History and the Society of American Historians. The opening editorial for this magazine that taught me history and taught me to love history is written by Bruce Catton a Michiganian. Um, I have to tell you, he was from Benzonia, Mi uh, Michigan. Um, if you go to Benzonia, two things you will learn if you talk enough. He was the black sheep of the family. His father was a congregational minister and so was his big brother. They were both teetotalers and Bruce was not. And he was a journalist. You also find some wonderful shoebox dioramas. When he was on the road, nothing to do, didn't have TVs and hotel rooms back there, he carved miniature Civil War figures and put them in shoe, these shoebox dioramas, which are still part of the Benzonia County Historical Society. But I was intrigued by what the, he said in his editorial for American Heritage. I just want to share a little of, with you. He said that the faith that moves us is quite simply the belief that our heritage is best understood by a study of the things that ordinary folks of America have done and thought and dreamed since first they began to live here. They have done and thought and dreamed some rather extraordinary things, as a matter of fact, whose true significance does not always appear on the surface. Always we intend to deal with that great, unfinished, and illogically inspiring story of the American people doing and becoming. This is 1954. This organization has understood the value of stories of real people for a very long time. I think what has pleased me, delighted me, kept me active and enthusiastic though, is that in the last decade, we've started talking about a lot of people that we didn't used to talk about, that Bruce Catton did not talk about, that were not in American heritage, the people whose stories have not been told. I've had the privilege over the last about five years of starting to work closely with Americans, Native American tribes. There's been some comments at this at this session about how we need to tell that story. And I can tell you, having done focus groups, having, do f having done formal consultations with them, we have a lot more listening to do. We have a lot more telling to do. When I started in this field, we were busy proving to people that we were a profession, that we were the experts. We grew to say, no, we need to involve our communities. We need to invite in our stakeholders. I think finally we're to the point of knowing 
we also need to let other people speak for themselves, that that is part of the listening. But we have, we have the resources, the places, the, the online sites, the museums, the archives, to make those stories heard throughout our country, and our country needs to hear them. To me, this is the reason I keep working, because I am learning so much every day from beginning to explore these stories, beginning to share them, and working with people, not for them, not doing the work for them, but actually working with people to learn their stories, to help translate those into stories that will develop the next generation, and maybe change a few minds in our generation as well. Every one of you is in this room is someone that can do this, probably someone I can learn something from. And so I am very grateful to receive this award from this group that has been my friends, they've been the people that I vented to when I can't vent to anybody at home, and the people that have given me good advice when I ask for good advice. Thank you for that and for the award. Our next award of distinction is a bit unusual, as it is the first one AASLH has presented to a couple. But if you have been in the field very long, you will know that John and Anita Durrell are a package deal. John and Anita founded the Durrell Consulting Partners in 1997. They have served the museum and history field with professionalism, integrity, and unbridled passion for building a great organization and helping those in the field become great leaders. Before working as a consultant, John served in various museum, museums, including Strawberry Bank, the Bino, Railroad Museum and the Baltimore City of Life Museum. Anita built her career around focusing on fundraising and development, including leadership positions at Johns Hopkins University and the Association of Fundraising Professionals. And they combined their experience to form the Dural consulting partners, they became one of the strongest assets to our field. They have taught museum studies classes, consulted on numerous projects, and, and John served as executive director of the Seminar for Historic Preservation 
now the History Leadership Institute. In addition to their consulting work, the Durrells were founding leaders in the History Relevance Campaign. Ellen Spear of the Norman Rockwell Museum wrote in her letter of support for their nomination. The Durrells are true believers in the power of history to advance social good through the promotion of civic engagement, the importance of inclusion and dignity in telling stories that remember the past and create a brighter future. One of the most significant impacts on the field has been through their executive director roundtables. Through this work, they have become member, mentors and friends of dozens of current leaders, CEOs, and others in our field. They teach leadership with skills and networking, but their work with these groups goes deeper than simple training. My relationship with the duels have not only benefited my work, it has fundamentally changed the course and outcome of my personal story, right Scott Stroll, Executive Director of the uh, George Mason uh, Gunson Hall. Their presence has, tran ha has transformed how I think and how I act, and Lynn, in my capacity as Executive Director as a history organization. But their presence in my life and their love has also changed and saved my life. This is the greatest impact and power of their presence and their work and their impact and power is not limited to one person, one organization, or the field of history. It is transcendent. Join me in honoring John and Anita with the 2019 Award of Distinction. We have just shared the stage with another Award of Distinction member, our dear friend John Fleming, whose contributions to the field are innumerable. Please recognize him. Thank you. We've worked together for a long time. We've learned how to trade off, uh, but sometimes we interrupt each other. And we'll do that tonight, too. I want to start by thanking ASLH. This is such an enormous honor, and one that we couldn't have expected under any circumstances. We've had conversations with Sandra, and we were all talking about how numb we were, that um, it, we hope we don't get found out that we're up here, and they'll decide against giving us the award, because it really is an enormous honor. Um, uh, we're also quite aware that this doesn't typically come to consultants in the field. And I hope that that uh, 
that that will change because there are times when consultants go beyond just making money where they're really, their devotion makes a difference in the field. We're both overwhelmed and honored by this award. And I think that we want to um, recognize that this award, while it hasn't been awarded every year and has only been given intermittently, we've looked at the people who've received this award and I have to say it really does humble us that we are among them right now. I wanna thank the ASLH in particular and the nominating committee and particularly all those who lobbied for this nomination um, through letters to the committee. Uh, Scott Stroh and Cinnamon Catlin Lindeco were champions of this effort and did so surreptitiously, not letting us know anything at all, making sure that this was an enormous surprise and we have been bowled over. Um, I want to thank all that made the award possible, including the nominations committee. And I think also I want to mention that it's, it's really important for us to uh, mention that I'm fortunate to have some family members here. Our family members are far and wide. John's one of five children, and I'm one of four. And I'm very lucky to have my sister Marianne, my brother George, and my nephew Eric here tonight with me. We don't get to celebrate much together, and it's such a thrill for me. I also want to mention that our sons are not here. Our two sons are not here for good reason. Um, my son Brian, who spent a, a few years in a Buddhist center and now is working at a homeless shelter because that is his passion, is preparing and saving his vacation to go on a homeless retreat in New York City in a couple weeks where he'll be living on the street with homeless people and talking to them and delivering compassion and just being who he is, a very kind and thoughtful person. Our son, Justin, and his wife, Alenka, who are typically on the streets, but are not right now. They are street performers in Slovenia and across Europe. They work as hospital clowns, and they work in refugee centers as well. They are not here because they're taking care of their three-week-old new baby, our second granddaughter. So while we miss them, gosh, we think they're doing great things. Um, I also want to extend congratulations to our colleague, Sandra Clark, who just received this award. Uh, a great friend and um, a, a wonderful woman who's really created a template for many of us to follow in terms of leadership and bravery and facing some very difficult situations, working through them and finding solutions. And congratulations, Sandra. Um, I, I think I want to start by saying it's a privilege to be here, but it's really been a, a privilege to work with so many of you through the presentations we've done, through the writing we've done, through various journals and the like. Um, we've had such wonderful conversations with people responding to what we've done and filling us in on where we may have missed a point or something like that. But we've learned so much about museums governance challenges, managing people. We all know there's only two problems in museums, right? The people and the money, right? And understanding how to manage the people and the money brings you down many different roads, each one unique, each one different. We've been fortunate to work with people that know which road to go on, which know, who know how to manage not only their own ideals, but the people that are coming along with them. 
Our work has been widespread, both in this country and somewhat abroad, and we've really immersed ourselves in every community that we've been in. We look first at what the community objectives are, what the long-range plans are for each community, and then we try to figure out where does the museum fit in this? Where does the historic site fit in this? We hope that we have helped share realistic goals along the way, helped them find realistic strategies to fit into those bigger objectives. We've been privileged to work with the smartest people in this room and many other rooms. We've been privileged to work with the leaders of many communities across this country. And we've been privileged to work with some of the finest leaders in this field. I want to point out that our table over here, Janet, uh, Janet and Jim Vaughn, who have been friends for longer than either of us care to remember, but they've been colleagues. The, the idea of the History Relevance Campaign grew out of ASLH meetings, but not at the meetings themselves, but at the bar late at night, where we solved all the problems of the world. And we continue to do that. So I will invite any of you that really want to solve problems to show up, because that's where things really happen. Janet and Jim have been enormous leaders in their field, and we have learned so much from them. They have been wonderful friends and people that really enlighten us at every turn. We've been fortunate recently to work with Janet and AAM in redesigning the map assessment for AAM for museum governance. And John and I wrote that piece as a guide for museum boards because we really feel that most museum boards don't know what the job is. And most CEOs don't know how to teach them what the job is. So we did it for you. So the map assessment that we'll be rolling out in the fall will be a guideline for each of you to turn over to your boards and have them assess themselves, but based on some knowledge, not as a criticism, but as a way to improve what they do every day. That includes improving your financial future, as well as the way you can run your institutions. In large part, we realize that we're privileged to have done this work because you have been our classroom. You have each been the people we've learned from. It's through your trials and tribulations that we've learned how museums work, how they should work, how they can work. It's through what you've shown us in terms of your own leadership and your own stature in your communities that we can make a change and we can make a difference. What we know, we know from you, from your bravery, from your efforts to create a more enlightened and compassionate world. And that's what we think you do. Um, as John said, we, we do this together all the time, so we switch back and forth. So don't be alarmed if he elbows me out. Um, we've learned more from the sincerity of our colleagues than I can, than I can express um, for their dedication to the field and their supreme interest in making their community stronger. We realize that history really does matter when we meet each of you and we hear about what you're doing. We really revel in those revelations that you tell us about what you're doing. It's easy to come into a room and tell everybody how brilliant you are and all the wonderful things you're doing. In our roundtable, we've learned that the really great leaders come in and tell us what's going wrong, where they're vulnerable, where they need help. And in a confidential setting, they reveal to us what, what's really keeping them up at night. And I 
pose that question to you. What's really keeping you up at night? What's really preventing you from being the best museum in the world? Significant change doesn't come easily, but we know now that it comes with multiple voices. We're looking forward to hearing those multiple voices, and we are so proud of what we see in the program here. We're so proud of what we see and what all of you are doing. I would be remiss if I didn't stop and say that it's, it's not easy for anyone to be married for 47 years, but we've managed to do that. But we've also managed to work together for a large part of it. What most of you don't know that my degree is in museum studies and administration. And I started in this field with my six-month-old son on my hip in period costume outside the um, Emerson House in York, Maine, and my fichu very tightly pinned along the collar. And it was really a challenge to have a six-month-old and an open hearth and be cooking there, as well as be articulate and um, adamant about my position with history. Um, my son started work early, obviously, at six months. But I am pleased to say that uh, while I hoped that my, my career would be in history, I was taken in many directions. The women's movement uh, and many other uh, opportunities, including other cultural and historic preservation interests, called to me. And I became a grant writer and ultimately a major gift officer and a planned giving officer. But with all of that, I've carried museums throughout my life. And the fact that I've been privileged enough to come full circle and work with John and work with all of you in the end has been the joy of my life. And I have to say that I really admire and appreciate my husband more than I can tell you. Not just because he's my husband, because he's a grand scholar, he has a great mind, and I have loved working with him. And I love all of you for what you've taught us. Thank you. It's been a real trip. Um, and congratulations to all of you who are here to receive awards. Is, um, is Valerie Cunningham here? Or is there a group from Portsmouth, New Hampshire? Because right, she's receiving an award tonight. Back here. Great. I knew Valerie 40 years ago when I worked at Strawberry Bank and she was just getting started with this idea that there were actually black people who lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire in the past. Because of course that was invisible to all of us, but she persisted uh, and uh, tell her I said hello. Because I haven't seen her since I left Portsmouth 35 years ago. But she was kind enough to send us her book. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, and I'm curious, how many of you are attending your first ASLH meeting? Okay, a goodly number. That's great. Welcome, welcome. And as Anita said, if you want to meet some really smart people, come to the bar afterwards. Um, Even if you don't drink. Um, my first professional experience after joining this field was with ASLH. 1980, a workshop on what was then called the New Social History. 
the new social history meant we were going to tell stories about ordinary people doing ordinary things and not just wealthy families who had elegant houses. Uh, and we were going to talk about daily life and not just furniture and who, as, as Janet sometimes, and who begat whom with the portraits on the wall. Um, it was a very exciting time to enter the field. There was lots new going on. There was vitality in the field. It's um, sobering that in looking at the program for this meeting, there were two sessions, one entitled The Future of Living History, and the other one was trashing or getting rid of your house tour, because those things were new when I started. And those were, that's what we were designing, and it was a really exciting time. Uh, but every time, everything has a season. I sense now, looking at the program and the conversations I've had and the sessions I've been in, this is another time of vitality. There's something really important happening right now. Um, one difference between then and now is back then we didn't sit in circles. Every session I've been in, everybody had to get into a circle this time because we're talking, we're not just listening. And we're learning how to listen, not only to one another, but to listen to our communities and to others whose stories we've never quite understood. So a few years ago, Anita and I were among uh, a handful of people, I think some, of are, here, some are here, who instigated this uh, history relevance campaign, driven by a sense that history had become something that was nice, but not particularly necessary in the lives of American people. We had gotten rid of it in school. Nobody had to take history anymore. Um, it was something you might do on vacation when you, as a tourist, but it had very little meaning to your daily life, except unless you had the, uh, the, the, the history gene and you loved it and you got involved. But most people didn't think much of it. This came home, uh, we thought the bicentennial was the beginning of America's love of history, and it was in the bicentennial year that attendance at Colonial Williamsburg started to decline. Um, we thought we were on to something, um, but while we were doing our work, the country was going off and doing its own. So we got together and we said, Actually, we think history is more than just a nice pastime, that it is really significant in the lives of people and in the lives of community. And so we argued for how do we get the community to understand it and how do we change ourselves so that we are in the community, for the community, and not just expecting them to show up and to hear what we have to say. So this is about 10 years ago eight or 10 years ago, we started talking that way. I feel so heartened by this meeting. 
because we've gotten there. Not, only, not in the way I envisioned, because of stuff that is going on in our country, but every session is talking about the importance of history in the lives of people in this country. We've got this whole thing going about social justice, uh, diversity and inclusion, decolonization. None of that can happen without conversation, without participation, without partnership with our people and our communities. And none of that can happen without history. History is essential to the future of our country right now. And who better than us, who keep the history, who study the history, who share the history, who better than us to change the country right now with the needs of our country? So you're all about doing really, really important work. And it's been our privilege to help. Um, so thank you. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for uh, the award. And you have something more? I do. I think we all need friends along the way. And this, if you, if you come into a conference like this the first day, you just see people falling all over each other. So happy to see colleagues they haven't seen. And I see lots of smiles, because you're all realizing just how precious this is to have these colleagues across the country. In our work with roundtables, with clients along the way, we have had strong guidance. And I have to thank our dear friends, Mary Case, and Dean Krimmel, who have been with us every inch of the way. They have made our work not only interesting, but inspiring. Because as consultants, we meet as a group uh, every month, two months, three months. It doesn't matter when it is, but we've continued to meet to, to share what we've been learning. And I think that our strength has really come from being involved in a network just like we think all of you should be involved in the network, a network of people that's bigger than yourself that you can call on when times are dark and then when times are bright to bounce ideas off of and innovations and new models. It's really important to have the people that know what they're talking about with you and we've been very privileged to have that. Thank all of you for being our laboratory and our classroom. We'll see you in the bar. First, I have some important housekeeping. John and Anita, Dr. Fran Levine sends her regards, and you'll be happy to know we're almost done with the Road Ahead strategic plan. We're closing it out. Um, thank you and good evening. My name is Nick Hoffman. I am the Managing Director of Education and Visitor Experience at the Missouri Historical Society in St. Louis, and I'm also the awards chair. This year marks 74 years since the Leadership in History Awards began in 1945. And yes, that means next year we'll celebrate 75 years of honoring superior work within our field. It's an honor to be a part of this long tradition and to celebrate this year's cohort of award recipients who continue to push our field forward. 
Before we begin the ceremony, I just want to recognize our national awards team, which comprises of 65 people who volunteer their time and expertise to identify the superior work of their peers of history organizations of every type and size. Our 50 state representatives encourage organizations and individuals to nominate their work and help prepare their application materials. After the nominations are submitted, our 14 regional representatives spend half a week in Nashville thoroughly reviewing the nominations to select our award recipients. It takes a lot of time and patience and some headaches to make this program work. Most importantly, I want to thank the ASLA staff who helped coordinate the awards program. Chief of Operations, Bethany Hawkins, and Program and Publication Manager, Asia Bain. Asia, Bethany, and our 2019 awards team, please stand for a round of applause. AASLH bestows Leadership in History Awards to establish and encourage standards of excellence in the interpretation of state and local history. These award-winning projects reflect ASLH's aspirational philosophy. Our award winners, therefore, reflect the following points. They embrace difficult history by reflecting current scholarship, grounding the work in primary source research, and providing a genuine contribution to the understanding of history. They act to build diversity and inclusiveness through interpretation that considers race, ethnicity, gender, social class, and geography, and is provocative through presenting contested history and multiple perspectives. They cultivate an experimental and creative spirit as a source for imaginative problem solving, exploring new approaches and resourcefulness while also looking to others for inspiration. They demonstrate the value and relevance of history and showcase how the public can make use of the past in discussing the present and future. And finally, they attempt to be accessible to wide audiences with different learning styles, abilities, and interests in history. These are the core points of what it means to be a history organization that listens and grows from its communities. The following award-worthy projects were measured against these points, and we are honored to recognize their achievements this evening. So how will this work? Uh, the awards recognition will happen alphabetically by state within each region. I will call up your region, and the states within that region will be listed on the screens. At that time, all the award winners from those regions will queue to my left, your right. Our regional representatives will then come to the stage to announce the awards, and once announced, our recipients will come up individually and then move to my right for a photograph. So let's give out a bunch of awards. Uh, please welcome Brooke Steinhauser of the Emily Dickinson Museum to present the awards for Region 1, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Good evening. I'm delighted to present the awards for Region 1, and we'll begin with Maine. So this award of excellence goes to the Mount Desert Island Historical Society for the publication Chibaco, Volume 19. This multidisciplinary reimagining of the society's core publication presents essays on objects and landscapes that embody local history and provoke deep emotional connections with readers. By offering museum collections as beholdings to be shared and contemplated rather than to be locked away, this publication's deeply researched content fosters engagement with the history of a unique region and furthers the society's mission of bonding islanders together with shared history and placemaking. Congratulations.
And from Massachusetts, Freedom's Way Heritage Association receives this award for the public program Declaring Independence, Then and Now. Through scholarship, performance, readings, and community conversations, this collaborative program engaged communities across Massachusetts in the local historical drama of declaring America's independence in the spring and summer of 1776. By creating a format that could be customized with each town's records and utilized citizen historians, declaring independence provided an accessible model for local history programming that directly linked participants to a momentous moment in our nation's history. Congratulations to them. And finally, from New Hampshire, I'm very pleased to present Valerie Cunningham with this award, celebrating her distinguished career, preserving the African-American history of New Hampshire and the Seacoast region. For 50 years, Cunningham has dedicated her career to piecing together the stories of those lost from or written out of the state's records. Her work has resulted in and formed the bedrock of the Black Heritage Trail of New Hampshire and the BlackNewEngland.org database, and she continues to be an energetic advocate for public history outreach who has transformed the contemporary cultural landscape of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Congratulations to her. All right, please welcome Lenora Henson of the Theodore Roosevelt inaugural site to present the awards for Region 2, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island. Our next award goes to the Connecticut State Library for the special project, Remembering World War I, Sharing Histories, Preserving Memories. Working with a, an array of community partners, the Connecticut State Library organized and hosted 47 digitization events that invited the public to bring in their World War I stories and artifacts, which were then digitized and preserved as part of an online collection. More than 40 public programs engaged attendees with the larger context of the war, and as they shared their families' experiences, they gained a deeper appreciation of how this history impacted their ancestors' lives and their community. Congratulations. Our next award goes to the Fairfield Museum and History Center and the Connecticut Institute for Refugees and Immigrants for the project An American Story, Finding Home in Fairfield County. This collaborative project humanized complex and polarizing topics like immigration patterns, refugee policy, and the resettlement process. It used a combination of larger-than-life portraits, personal narratives, objects, historical contexts, and programming to highlight the stories of eight individuals from around the world who rebuilt their lives in Fairfield County. The audience was thus connected to the people behind the statistics of modern immigration in a personal and thought-provoking way. Congratulations. Our next award goes to the Westport Historical Society for the exhibit, Remembered, the History of African Americans in Westport. Extensive primary source work informed this exhibit, as well as the author talks, film screenings, live performances, and other programs that accompanied it. Combined with school outreach, Remembered brought to life the forgotten contributions of African Americans to the history of a suburban Connecticut town and demonstrated the relevance of black history to the viability and success of not only Westport itself, but also that of Connecticut, New England, and the country. Congratulations.
Moving on to New York, our next award goes to the Brooklyn Historical Society for the Young Scholars Program. Since it began in 2015, this program has gathered small groups of students in grades three through 12 to research and produce more than a dozen books on local history topics. Students analyze primary and secondary sources from the Brooklyn Historical Society's archives, visit historical sites and museums, and meet with scholars to produce engaging and informing narratives. This program teaches participants the inquiry, analysis, research, and communication skills they will need to become the next generation of state and local historians. Congratulations. Our next award goes to the New York Historical Society for the Citizenship Project. In the two years since its inception, the Citizenship Project has leveraged the New York Historical Society's vast archival and museum collections to help more than 2,000 green card holders to prepare for the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services Naturalization Interview. Beyond the, that, however, this free program encourages discussion and fosters critical thinking while providing students with a more nuanced understanding of American history and empowering them to become active, engaged citizens. Congratulations. The next award goes to the Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Commission for the exhibit, One More River to Cross, the Niagara Falls Underground, Heritage Underground Railroad Heritage Center. This powerful immersive museum experience provides a long overdue look at the forgotten history of the Underground Railroad and abolitionism in the border city of Niagara Falls. Combined with strong community outreach to residents of all ages, this museum's active emphasis on the agency of freedom seekers from the 19th, from the 19th century to today make it a model for the field. Congratulations. Our next award goes to Susan Goodyear and Karen Pastorello for their book, Women Will Vote, Winning Suffrage in New York State. This book focuses on five diverse groups of activists, Rural women, working class immigrant women, black women, male suffragists, and bold radical women who, despite glaring differences, all worked towards women's suffrage in New York State and more broadly impacted the national movement. The author's deep research has led to a comprehensive work whose influence will be particularly important as the nation prepares for the suffrage centennial. Congratulations. Our next award goes to the Three Village Historical Society for the Founders Day Project. A series of 12 murals depicting the town's history provide the foundation for this, for this program, which introduces fourth grade students to more than 350 years of local history. Primary sources encourage students to think critically about their town's development over time while sparking curiosity and connection between students, parents, and the wider community. Founders Day is to be commended for its ability to make the past relevant, interesting, and tangible to young learners. Congratulations. <laughs> On to Rhode Island. Our next award goes to the Lippitt House Museum for the program Back to Work, Encounters with Historical and Contemporary Voices. Undertaken within the furnished rooms of the 1865 Lippitt House, this multi-sensory theatrical installation examined both contemporary and historic labor, helping visitors to make connections between their own family history 
and the hidden labor stories around them today. Back to Work invited visitors to explore the house at their own pace and choose among the videos, soundscapes, props, and the reproduction documents highlighting the individuals who made its luxurious environment possible. Congratulations. Our next award goes to the Little Compton Historical Society for the project Remember Me, Little Compton's 46 Historic Cemeteries. By documenting the town's historic cemeteries, including three known Native American burial sites, as well as formerly lost sites like the Negro Burying Ground, this project inspired a new, renewed interest in and appreciation for these sites. It also engaged a tremendous number of volunteers and shared its research through publication of a guidebook, as well as a lecture series, exhibit, and audio tour. Congratulations. Next, please welcome Christy Crisp of the Georgia Historical Society to present the awards for Region 3, Delaware, the District of Columbia, Maryland, and the Keystone State of Pennsylvania, and Region 4, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. Thank you. First, from the District of Columbia, The next award is a publication award to Chris Myers Ash and George Derek Musgrove for the publication Chocolate City, a history of race and democracy in the nation's capital. Tracing DC's massive transformations from a sparsely inhabited plantation society into a diverse metropolis and from a center of the slave trade to the nation's first black majority city, this book provides a comprehensive and timely study of Washington's difficult history. Adopted by local high school and college history classes, Chocolate City provides accessible and sensitive historic context and nuanced analysis for students and general readers to better understand the foundations of our capital city. Congratulations. The next awards go to winners right here in Pennsylvania. Our next award goes to the Cumberland County Historical Society for the special project, Community Heart and Soul. Cumberland County Historical Society partnered with the Pennsylvania Humanities Council to develop a project focused on understanding how oral histories and stories can help create meaningful impact on our communities. To do this, the society gathered audio and video recordings as well as stories written on everything from coasters to postcards and even children's drawings engaging groups typically missing from the organization's collections. Outgrowth projects like the preservation of the Mount Tabor Church and the development of a countywide preservation roundtable have expanded the project's original reach and built lasting connections between the Cumberland County Historical Society and the community it serves. Congratulations. The next award goes to the Heinz History Center for the exhibit We Can Do It, the World War II Traveling Exhibit Outreach Project. We Can Do It is a traveling exhibit made available to small museums through the center's affiliates program. Intended to expand the center's impact beyond Metro Pittsburgh and create a framework for local organizations to engage audiences within their own communities, the project emphasized collaboration between host partners, encouraging small organizations to work together to develop meaningful programs with a local focus. By featuring collaboration as a basic tenet of the program, We Can Do It provides a model for the field. 
showing how historical organizations of different capacity can work together to advance the relevance of history across a wider region than any could reach on their own. Congratulations. And next, an award going to the Museum of the American Revolution for the exhibit Revolution Place. In order to extend the museum's core exhibition to younger visitors and families, the Museum of the American Revolution opened a new permanent discovery center, Revolution Place, in June 2018. It features four key recreated environments, a military encampment, a tavern, a home, and an 18th century meeting house to immerse and engage children and their families. Modeled after child-focused discovery centers more typically found in science centers, Revolution Place encourages learning through play, experimentation, and discussion. Revolution Place demonstrates the relevance of history and showcases how the public can make use of the past in discussions of the present and the future through a variety of methods. Congratulations. Please welcome Carmen Blair of the San Mateo County History Museum to present the awards for Region 5, Kentucky, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia, and Region 6, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. From Kentucky, our next award is for Marjorie Guillaume, Patrick Mitchell, and Nikki Feeney for the Civic Engagement Project, I Was Here. Their innovative use of art connected the community to Lexington's history as one of the largest slave auction sites in the United States. The project remembers the enslaved through 21 ancestor spirit portraits, combined with poetry and references to locations central to the slave trade. Displayed on shades in the windows of local businesses surrounding the site of the auctions, they encourage reflection focusing on the shared humanity that unites people and communities. Congratulations. Our next award is for the University of North Carolina Greensboro Public History Program for the exhibit Etched in Stone, Governor Charles Aycock and the Power of Commemoration. In 2016, the university's board of trustees removed the name of Governor Aycock from the school's auditorium and tasked the school's history and museum studies programs to help the campus contend with his legacy as an educator and a white supremacist. In the auditorium that formerly bore his name, graduate students, under the guidance of then director of public history, Benjamin Filene, opened an exhibition showing that whom we memorialize matters. Congratulations. The Wild Hill Alumni Association Foundation and the West Virginia University Public History Program are awarded for their exhibit, Up on the Hill, a century of memories at a neighborhood school. Going beyond nostalgia, this student-led project addresses the role of national and local events in shaping the identities, relationships, and memories of generations of children at a local elementary school. 
Designed around the seasons of the year, the exhibit tells stories ranging from the tumultuous to lighthearted, illustrating the significance of the century-old school as the center of neighborhood activity. Congratulations. From Indiana, the Porter County Museum receives an award for the exhibit, Do Your Part, A County Response to the First World War. In a setting inspired by a Porter County dining room and kitchen, the exhibit examines the effect World War I had on the everyday lives of local residents and shows how they organized, worked, and sacrificed in response. The museum tells the story of a global conflict through local and individual stories, including difficult history of anti-German sentiment. The exhibit's creative interactives made the past tangible and personal. Congratulations. <laughs> Next, the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site is awarded for the Multimedia Project New Century E-Collection Initiative this project is a model for the field in allowing preservation and access. While a small percentage of the site's collection is accessible to the public through tours and exhibitions, this initiative allows it to be shared with new audiences around the world through 3D scanning and printing. It preserves the collection for future generations by visually documenting each artifact. The 3D printed replicas are a transformative educational resource that makes history interactive for local and remote visitors. Congratulations. <laughs> Our next award is for Connor Prairie and Asante Children's Theater for the public program, Giving Voice, African Americans Presence in Indiana's History. Seeking to open doors to a more comprehensive view of history, Connor Prairie and Asante Children's Theater collaborated on this program that engages guests with relative, relevant, surprising narratives and civic discourse that convey the stories of African Americans that shaped Indiana's history and connects the past with the present. The project's emphasis on evaluation and audience dialogue make it a model for the field of effective museum theater. Congratulations. <laughs> From Michigan, the Pigeon River Discovery Center receives an award for the Discovery Center exhibits. Dedicated to fostering a new generation of stewards and protectors, this all-volunteer organization created multi-format exhibits in a historic log cabin. The exhibits highlight the conservation history of the last hundred years that transformed their local state forests from burnt over land to today's verdant landscape. Through documents, photographs, and recorded interviews, the exhibits educate visitors about the forest history, the people who loved it, the controversies that shaped it, the many recreational offerings, and the delicate balance of forest life. Congratulations. Our next award is for the Michigan History Center for the exhibit, States of Incarceration. 
The organization used a traveling exhibit exploring mass incarceration to put their state's history into national context. Using its collection, the Michigan History Center highlighted the state's history of incarceration from being the world's first English-speaking government to ban the death penalty to having the largest walled prison in the world in the early 20th century. By offering a place to reflect on a difficult issue, this exhibit encourages museums to tackle complex topics with a commitment to truth and sensitivity. Congratulations. And from Ohio, Stan Heward Hall and Garden and Archival Services at the University of Akron received the award for the project Lost Voices of the Great War, Summit County in the First World War. Recounting the experiences of county residents, the documentary brings to life period letters, films, photographs, and documents through dramatic reenactment footage and interviews. During the creation of the documentary, collection and digitization events gave the public the opportunity to be involved in the history-making process. A thousand items from previously hidden collections were digitized with many being made available online for future research. Congratulations. Please welcome Ashley Booknight of the History Research Associates and now an ASLH Council member to present the awards for Region 7, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee. Good evening. Our first award for Region 7 goes to Arkansas Declaration of Learning for the project Arkansas Declaration of Learning Year 3 and 4. This statewide partnership trained hundreds of 4th through 12th grade teachers how to incorporate historic art, objects, and documents in the classroom. The project demonstrated the organization's commitment to the latest trends in historical education and empowered teachers to think outside of the box when developing history curriculum. Teachers in the program learn how to better utilize primary sources to help students draw connections between the past and the present. Congratulations. Our next award goes to the Louisiana State Museum and Go in the Road Productions for the Stranger Disease. Based on the story of the 1878 yellow fever outbreak in New Orleans, this immersive theater production detailed the life and death decisions made during the crisis while simultaneously exploring the impact of race, class, gender on the community. This project proved to be an innovative example of how to tackle difficult topics in unconventional settings. Congratulations. <laughs> Next from Region 4, we would like to have Georgia Historical Society for the publication Georgia Historical Quarterly 2017. The centennial publication traces the evolution of the journal from its years of lost cause articles to more current and inclusive narratives. 
The journal also takes a critical look at the journal's past editor, a clear nod to the organization's commitment to having honest and transparent conversations with readers. Congratulations. Next, please welcome Andy Elbertson of the Museum of, of Indian Arts and Culture to present the awards for Originate New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas. Our award goes to the Tulsa Historical Society and Museum for transmitting Tulsa on screen and over the airwaves, an electrifying exhibit I had the pleasure of seeing myself. By sharing the history of local television and radio, this exhibit presented a relatable pop culture topic with deep community resonance and intergenerational appeal. Transmitting Tulsa put local entertainment in historic context while showing that the experience and memories of everyday citizens are worthy of preservation and museum interpretation. Congratulations. This award goes to the Texas Supreme Court Historical Society for the publication Journal of the Texas Supreme Court Historical Society. This quarterly e-journal collects and publishes Texas legal history, including oral histories, research, and photos from legal professionals documenting particular issues and experiences. In 2018, the Historical Society issued publications on the state's African-American judges and the experiences of judges, justices, and governors in World War I, preserving these essential stories of pioneers in their field. Congratulations. Next up, we have Joe Hoover of the Minnesota Historical Society to present the awards for Region 9, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, you betcha, and Region 10, Kansas, Nebraska, and Missouri. From New Mexico, the Museum of the, this award of excellence goes to the Museum of Indian Arts and Culture for the exhibit, Lifeways on the, on the, of the Southern Athabascans. In the nation's first show to examine the stories and material culture of the six distinct Apache tribes of North America, Lifeways shares a comprehensive view of a group united by language through photos and objects. By offering nuanced discussion of the history and challenges of the tribes, this exhibit counters oversimplified and stereotypical views of the Apache with sound scholarship and cultural sensitivity. Congratulations. From Minnesota, the Award of Excellence goes to the Stewart Neighborhood Group for the publication, A People's History of the, Stewart, of the Seward Neighborhood. This book chronicles the history of a diverse Minneapolis neighborhood through a comprehensive study of its populations, institutions, housing, transportation, politics, and more. By reflecting the area's strong roots and commitment to diversity and tackling difficult history, this work re represents a thorough and relevant community history of an evolving neighborhood. As one of, their, as one of the letters of critical review stated, 
Writing by committee has its inherent pitfalls, but the professional level of editing employed unified the publication. Congratulations. And from Wisconsin, you betcha. This award of excellence goes to the Monroe County Local History Room and Museum for the exhibit Monroe County A to Z. This comprehensive exhibit uses 27 interactive hands-on components to condense the people, places, and things of the county history into concise and relevant interpretation in an engaging way. This meticulously researched and well-written display provides not only a thorough overview of the county's past, but also offers insights into sources, processes, and individual connections to history in a limited space. Congratulations. And also from Wisconsin. The Neville Public Museum for, dis for the exhibit, Delay of Game, Experiences of African American Football Players in Titletown. The exhibit marked the 100th anniversary of the Green Bay Packers, and the museum took on the, a challenging and important topic going beyond traditional celebratory sports narratives. This project focused on the experiences and challenges of African-American Green Bay Packer players throughout the franchise's history, including the national anthem protests. By tackling the, no pun intended, the difficult history behind a popular sports team, the museum offers a new take on local narratives and social issues faced by African Americans living in Green Bay and playing in the NFL. Congratulations. <laughs> From Kansas. This award of excellence goes to the Johnson County Museum for the exhibit, The Turbulent Twenties. This exhibit went beyond nostalgic interpretations of the Roaring Twenties to offer deeper and more nuanced examinations of the era's serious topics, including anti-immigrant legislation and Klan membership in the Midwest. By ensuring that visitors saw beyond the veil of prosperity and victory to the historical consequences of the 1920s, the Johnson County Museum communicated the relevance of this era in the exhibit with its ability to raise connections with local events to issues both regional and national. Congratulations. <laughs> and from Missouri, or Missouri? This award of excellence goes to the Kansas City Public Library for the multimedia project, The Pendergast Years, Kansas City in the Jazz Age and the Great Depression. This collaborative website offers an unparalleled online tool for learning and research about a time when Kansas was political, Kansas's political, Kansas City's political and social scene was dominated by the Pendergast political machine combining original and professional scholarship with a repository of over 5,600 primary sources and cutting-edge interpretive features as well as public events, this project provides essential insight and analysis to some of the city's most troubled years and issues. Congratulations. 
and from Idaho. This award of excellence goes to the Idaho State Historical Society for the exhibit, Idaho, Land and Its People. Anchoring the newly expanded Idaho State Museum, this exhibit provides a comprehensive look at the state's past and how natural resources, economic development, and diverse groups and motivations have interacted to shape the story. By emphasizing adaptation as a common thread of all Idahoan stories, the exhibit assembles a variety of stories and perspectives to form a cohesive whole that underscores the relevance of this history to contemporary issues, people, and places. Congratulations. And yes, it is a fact. You can look at your uh, map of the United States. There is both a Missouri and a Missouri. Uh, <laughs> finally, uh, welcome back, uh, Liz Hobson of the Idaho Historical Society to present the awards for Region 11, Colorado, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, and Wyoming, Region 12, Alaska, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington, or Region 13, California, and Hawaii, and Region 14, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah. It sounds like a lot, but it's a long way to fly here, so it's a few. You're welcome. Thank you. From Colorado, this award goes to History Colorado for the project History Colorado Collection is on view in Silverton, Colorado. Adapting to the needs of the community, History Colorado embraced a non-traditional loan process after elementary school students in rural Silverton requested to borrow objects dealing with Chinese immigration to share this untold story in their local museum. The results were impactful, having over 10,000 people view the items on display. This is a pilot program for History Colorado and a model for collaboration and partnerships and helped students direct their own learning and engage with difficult history. Congratulations. And from Montana, this is for the Montana Historical Society for the project, Montana and the Great War. This centennial project involved both physical and online exhibits, myriad public programming, an archival digitization project, and extensive educational outreach. The project explored the complicated legacy of World War I in Montana and addressed relevant com complex subjects such as free speech, isolationism, immigration, and patriotism. The end result provided balanced interpretation while making room for disagreement and embracing controversy. Congratulations. Our next award is for the Oregon Historical Society for the publication, Oregon Historical Quarterly, Oregon's Manila Galleon Special Issue, Summer 2018. Through collaborative scholarship, this publication shared the story of a mysterious 17th century shipwreck that had profound consequences for the future of the state. This groundbreaking publication combined native oral tradition, archival collections, and research that spanned three continents and 200 years. Listening to their audience, they provided the public with a cohesive and accessible look at a popular topic. Congratulations. Our 
Our next award is presented to the Las Vegas Convention and Visitor Authorities, Las Vegas News Bureau, and Nevada State Museums Project, Las Vegas Lineup. This collaborative identification project combines a traveling presentation and a gallery exhibit to help identify thousands of unknown historic photos from museum and news bureau collections to preserve the stories of both locals and visitors. Over 800 photos have been identified so far, and the project has become a reputable model for community engagement and collaboration. Congratulations. And now, I bet you're all wondering, what are our big award winners for the evening? And here to present those awards is someone who I'd like to give a really big round of applause for. She brings this conference together. You all know Bethany Hawkins, I'm sure, if you are involved with ASLH. So please welcome Chief of Operations, Bethany Hawkins. Thanks, Nick. Um, for our final awards this evening, we would like to honor one organization and three projects that were selected by the awards committee for special recognition. First, we have the Albert B. Corey Award. This award recognizes primarily volunteer-operated historical organizations that best display the qualities of vigor, scholarship, and imagination in their work. Our awards committee can select any primarily volunteer organization that was nominated for the Award of Excellence. And this award also comes with a $500 check. Tonight's Albert B. Corey Award winner creatively illustrates how commemoration can spark community reflection and help rewrite a city's narrative. In 2017, the Eastern Shore Network for Change worked to raise awareness of long-standing racial inequity in Cambridge, Maryland by partnering with the community to foster change for social and economic empowerment. Through their project, Reflections on Pine, a story of community, hope, faith, and change, the project team convened the first public community conversation about the 1967 fire and uprising that destroyed the African-American neighborhood on Pine Street. Their work sparked new efforts to reclaim the narrative of the city's story of struggle, survival, and progress. Congratulations to the Eastern Shore Network for Change. Congratulations. Our final category for the evening is the History in Progress Awards. The History in Progress Award is a special additional recognition for an award of excellence winner whose nomination is highly inspirational, exhibits exceptional scholarship, and or is exceedingly entrepreneurial in terms of funding, partnerships, collaborations, creative problem solving, or innovative project design and inclusiveness. This year, we are proud to present three awards in this special category. Our first History in Progress Award winner reminds us that our heroes change. Please join me in congratulating the University of North Carolina Greensboro Public History Program for their exhibit, Etched in Stone, Governor Charles Aycock and the Power of Commemoration.
Congratulations. This next award winner exemplifies ways history organizations can creatively use their historic collections to bring change, inspiration, and hope in the present. It's our honor to bestow this award to New York Historical Society for their inspirational public program, The Citizenship Project. Congratulations. And our final award winner of 2019 underscores the power of collaboration to breathe new life into a historic site. Congratulations to the Louisiana State Museum and Goat in the Road Productions for the special project, The Stranger Disease. Well, thank you for a wonderful evening and congratulations again to our award winners and the tremendous important work that you are doing for your institutions and the people you serve. I look forward to seeing all of you again in Las Vegas for the 75th anniversary of the awards program. Thank you and good night. Uh, for the award winners, there are envelopes up here as well to protect your certificates on the way home.